2: Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Today on the Indo-Daily, why the richest among us have gotten richer during the pandemic. It said the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Well, it's never been more true than during the last two years of COVID-19, as those with billions blasted off into space while the poorest were left scrambling for vaccines.
0: Go, Jeff, go, Mark, go, Wally, go, Oliver. You are going to space.
2: I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo Daily, we look at the Irishmen, and yes, it's all men, making it big in the Billionaires Club. Uh, wait for it, you take out the last 10 rows of seats and we guarantee that the stand, and we'd have a standing cabin and a seated cabin. The seats would be 25 euros, the standing cabin would be 1 euro. I guarantee you we will fill the standing cabin first. I'm joined by Sunday Independent Business Editor Samantha McCochran and Deputy Business Editor of the Irish Independent to discuss whether it's time for a wealth tax. John Isle, it's well known, a lot of people would know at least, that Jeff Bezos is the world's richest man, reputed to be worth 155 billion. Now, we don't have anyone in Ireland that comes near that massive figure, but we do have quite a a
1: substantial number of people in the billionaires club. That's right, Kevin. Depending on who's counting, there are anywhere from five to 15 Irish billionaires. And the biggest one is someone who is um, Irish by marriage. He's an Indian-born Irish citizen called Palanji Mistry. And he's the single largest shareholder of Tata Group. That's a huge industrial conglomerate in Indi- India that owns everything from Tetley Tea to interests in steel uh, companies and so forth. And uh, that, that guy is at the, the top of the list. But some of the more Familiar names uh, that we, you know, we'd all we'd all kind of know would be the Collison brothers, who are the founders of Stripe, John Manure, J.P. McManus, and then long-term investors like Dermot Desmond, Telecoms Baron um, Dennis O'Brien, the founders of Kingspan, uh, Eugene Murtaugh, and you know, there's a few others there. Paul Coulson, and then even Michael O'Leary, who's the chief executive of Ryanair. By virtue of his shareholding in that company, is in and out of the billionaires' club. He's he's there or thereabouts. So there's there's quite a few. You know, some of them are household names, and then you know others you you might not recognize the names.
2: And Samantha McCochran, their wealth, depending on on various estimates, is anywhere up to fifty million. But let's talk about a few of those people because we know the names, but we're maybe not entirely familiar with how their wealth has come to be and what they're doing with it. So let's start maybe with the Collison Brothers.
0: So the Collison Brothers are leaders uh, globally on the the fintech space. So basically, when you're buying something, uh, you know, from a website, you may well be using their their technology, Stripe. And it's become just a a massive company, one of the biggest in Silicon Valley, not to talk just about, you know, from an Irish context. And they've they've kind of been... totally embraced by the Irish people because it's a lovely story. They're young guys. They were kind of just super bright. Patrick Collison was a a very young recipient of the Young Scientist of the Year. They um, went over to the States and, um, you know, Patrick left left college early to start up this business because they felt you couldn't buy things properly online. Um, So now they're both in their early 30s. The latest fund rounding puts their individual wealth at about... You know, 8.5 billion each. That's on the low estimates. There's some estimates have them up to 11 billion each. And of course, like as is the case with a lot of these valuations, it's on paper. So it's actually quite hard to know how much would they really own or how much they would really be worth um in regards to the company. But it's safe to say they're both both billionaires and, and massively successful uh, young men, both in their early 30s.
2: And John, as Samantha mentioned, they're very popular, which kind of strikes me as a little bit unusual. Because when we go down through some of these names, we're going to find that Irish people don't really have a soft spot for a lot of the the people on this list, but they do for the Collisons. Why is that?
1: Well, I think that there's probably two reasons there. One is that they are genuinely homegrown. You know, they come from a pretty ordinary family in, in the Limerick area. I think there's I think there's some debate as to whether they're Limerick or Tipperary in origin. Um, but uh, I, I believe they—they are always against Kilkeny when it comes to hurling. You wonder, you know, in school, um, sort of. Can I pursue this, or should I just kind of get normal or be interested in sort of the standard things and so on? And by the time everyone's you know thirty um, uh, or you know, even into your twenties, you realize actually that's totally fine. But often your your kind of horizons don't get broadened that way until a bit later. And so I think I think it's important to tell the folks you know you be ten through twenty, to be weird. yeah, you have to be confident enough to be weird in in those years. Um, I I think part of it is that they they do kind of present themselves as very down to earth. You know, um, y- you know, the winning the young scientist puts you in the public eye in a in a very positive way, and then to go on, you know, to the states and start your company in Silicon Valley, and I and I guess reflect something good about the country while you're sort of in the middle of that world, um, makes everybody feel good. Now, I'm not sure how long that's actually going to last, right? So. The, the company has remained low profile because it is still a private company. It hasn't listed on the stock market yet. Now, there's talk that uh, Stripe will have its initial public offering either this year or next year, and they've taken some moves to put the pieces in place to make that happen. Once that company becomes publicly listed, it will be subject to a lot more scrutiny, both in the media and by its investors. And once that happens, I think some of the gloss might come off. Now, I, I can't say that there's anything about these guys that people aren't going to like. It's just that when a when a company is open to more scrutiny and gets a lot more attention, inevitably things, you know, will happen that will make people, let's say, start second guessing or revising their opinion. And it's always easy to dislike a billionaire, I think. Um, You know, because very few of us are billionaires and uh, that looks like a very unachievable standard for most people. So we'll see how it goes once, you know, Stripe moves along and it matures as a company and gets into that kind of Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft territory where we start to see what it's all about. Um,
0: I I think as well, um, you know, it's sort of quite a clean cut rise to financial success. You know, they were in a certain sector. It happens to be the hottest sector, one of the hottest sectors out there. Some of the more, you know, traditional, older, longer established um, billionaires, you know, they really had hard graft from the start. It was deal making. There was hard deals. There was fights. There was rows. There was buyouts. So, you know, and I'm talking about the likes of Dermot Desmond and uh, Dennis O'Brien, who've been, you know, involved in kind of corporate spats and court cases and things like that over the years, you know, which naturally lead to a different type of profile than a tech engineer or, or a tech uh, entrepreneur who's founded a company. It's kind of been, uh, no doubt, a very, very difficult journey, but it's been a sort of a linear journey, whereas some of the, uh, there's been a lot more, you know, kind of graft and grind for some of the baby maybe- well,
2: well, let's talk about those. Let's talk about those two names you mentioned there, Samantha. Dennis O'Brien and, and Dermot Desmond. And it strikes me particularly with Dennis O'Brien that he is a very high profile, probably the most high profile billionaire uh, that you've mentioned so far in Irish terms, but also probably the least popular. What What is it about Dennis O'Brien? And I should point out that he was a former major shareholder in, in this company, which has since been sold. But what is it about him that's made him so unpopular?
0: There's probably a couple of reasons uh he's quite litigious so he's taken on uh the media in several court battles and uh, you know not saying the media is always very popular but he has that reputation as you know not being very very thick-skinned um and there's also uh from the early days his tax residency you know he's a tax resident in Malta and I suppose um when he sold uh Isat uh, Telecom uh, in 2000 and he, he made uh, €199 million Euro, uh, tax-free, people kind of felt maybe that wasn't maybe the best, you know, way of handling the, 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 the assets or, or the income he got from that sale. When we sold ISA Telecom in early 2000, uh, everybody was celebrating and, you know, everybody made money out of the deal, all my staff, all our managers and my partners, and everybody was cock a hoop as such, but you know, within a week of that, uh, it was a bit of a leveler because I would no office to go to. Uh, all my former colleagues were back in the business, and I had nothing to do with the business. And uh, I, you know, I immediately kind of panicked in a sense that I had nothing to do with my life, from working 12, 14 hours a day to actually, you know, worried, well, how are you going to fill the day? There's always been a little niggling thing there. Now, you know, there is always this argument. Are we begrudgers in in Ireland? But to be fair, I think, you know, you know, uh, big, very successful entrepreneurs, generally speaking, they're not going to be bland, likeable people. They have to be strong personalities and they have to be tough and they have to be decisive. And look at, say, say Elon Musk, who's really at the top of the international billionaires list, you know, himself and Jeff Bezos of Amazon are kind of interchangeable nearly at the top at the moment. Like uh, Elon Musk is not a popular guy either. So... He's, he's, a, he's, he's known for, you know, outrageous comments, Twitter um, statements that his investors go crazy over. So I think you're, you're going to have, you know, you're not going to have a likable bunch of people who make billions of euros. It's just not how it works.
2: And then, John, you mentioned the one that is probably the most divisive. Is some people love him, want him to be president, think that he could fix our health service. And then other people think he's a complete chancer and a bit of a, a loudmouth. And I am, of course, talking about Ryanair boss Michael O'Leary. Fully enough, what we wanted to do was to take out about the last 10 rows of seats. But wait for it. You take out the last 10 rows of seats and we guarantee that the stand, and we'd have a standing cabin and a seated cabin. The seats would be 25 euros. The standing cabin would be one euro. I guarantee you we will fill the standing cabin first.
1: Well, he's undeniably an incredible businessman. You know, there's no denying his effect as chief executive of Ryanair or what he's managed to do with that company and securing its position at the top of the airline industry in Europe. He is, of course, outspoken. As, in, as Samantha said, these personalities—people who succeed at this level—are going to be prickly. They're going to be, um, you know, very, for for lack of a better word, kind of selfish. But um, you know, Michael O'Leary is is very good, I think, at the at um, capturing people's attention. And he sort of, in, in a way, has colonized our psychology. I mean, just think of the way he's changed our lives, but not just in terms of how we travel, but how we think about um, our relationship to businesses as well. I mean, he, Ryan Harris has pioneered the whole idea of disaggregated pricing, you know, the unbundling of pricing, which is, which is, Gone in not just throughout the airline industry, but has has gone into other industries as well. So he's a real pioneer, and I and I guess you have to give him respect for that. On the other hand, he talks about things that probably we don't really want to hear from him about. So the, you know, the idea that Michael O'Leary would make uh, a great president, I'm not sure he he would even agree with that. But I mean, we've we've seen in the United States with Donald Trump what happens when that type of personality gets political power, and it's um, let's say it's a mixed blessing. I think we should um, we should
2: probably say that. Donald Trump and Michael O'Leary are very different people and I'm not sure that their politics would entirely align. But I, I know what you're saying. Business people who who enter the political world and find that it, it's maybe not as easy as standing up and saying things like, "you let's make everybody stand in the cabin. He's made a lot of these kind of outrageous kind of Fantastic marketing, but but maybe you wonder, would it transfer to public life in the same way that it can in a private business?
1: Yes, I guess the point I was trying to make is that both are outspoken, very entertaining, uh, actually, whether you like them or not, very entertaining and great at capturing people's attention. Whether that translates into uh, political skill is is a different question. But, um, you know, O'Leary has a four percent stake in Ryanair, which is a very valuable public company. And that's, that's the basis of his wealth. And I think one of the reasons people say, you know, respect him, whether begrudgingly or in an embracing way is because he can be seen, I guess, like the Collison's to have really made that wealth himself through, through his work, through his ingenuity, through his, his fresh ideas, and his ability, you know, to beat the competition. And you said, you said,
2: John, that he, he, kind of comes in and out of the Billionaires Club. Explain that. It's not that he's off buying loads of properties or, or spending money on, on holidaying on private islands. It, it's, it's more to do with that shares in Ryanair that he
1: holds, is it? Well, that's right. And, and that's why it's, it's important to understand what we mean when we call somebody a billionaire. In almost every case, what you're talking about is the value of their ownership stakes in a, in a company, in a business, or in assets more generally. Michael O'Leary's wealth is based on his part ownership of Ryanair, the airline. The Collison's uh, wealth is based entirely on the fact that they founded a very valuable company. Um, same with Jeff Bezos and the same with Elon Musk. All of these people own stakes in in very valuable enterprises. Their wealth is not in cash sitting in a bank somewhere. It's basically in in investment in a company or diversified over various assets, as you'd see with, say, Dermot Desmond would be a good example of that. People who have very successfully invested in lots of enterprises and have built their wealth that way. But it's not like uh, Dennis O'Brien could tomorrow uh, write a check for a a billion euro. I don't think that would work. Um, He would have to liquidate the company he owns. uh, Digicel and whatever other assets in order to get his hands on that money. Um, so when we talk about billionaire wealth, it's very different from the kind of wealth that you know three of us might have when we say, look in our savings account or our pension account and say, oh, this is what I'm worth, you know, or this is the this is the equity in my house.
2: It's very different from the wealth I might have, John, <laughs> in in more ways than that. Um, but Samantha, before we we start to talk more about the idea of a wealth tax and the Oxfam report. Are there others that deserve honourable mention um, that we, we can't let the personality conversation go without mentioning? I'm thinking people like J.P. McManus.
0: Yeah, J.P. McManus and John Magner are a duo that have actually been in some of the Irish uh, rich lists as billionaires. So, um, it, like, you know, as John was saying, it's it's not an exact science. I mean, you know, it's based on guesstimates and what we do know and what we don't know probably even is, is could change quite considerably uh, the valuations, but they would be mostly linked with them, um, Coolmore Stud and horse racing. Um, so, so, th- so there's there's several other people out there. Like last last year, Philip O'Doherty and Donegal sold um, his company E and I Engineering for uh, well over uh, a, a billion dollars. And you know, he was somebody sort of nobody even really realised was um, was 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 had a company of that of that wealth. So there, there's another person, Paul Coulson, makes it in. Sometimes he uh, owns back. You know, founded packaging company Arda, um, and Larry Goodman is another big name there. It would be a, a very well-known name in Irish business circles, and he's he's in the. Uh, the beef business, the, the meat business, with ABP Food Group. So there's several people there who are very high up there um, on, on the wealth stakes um, and, and well-known personalities in the Irish context too.
2: In in all of that, though, Samantha, I haven't heard you name a single woman.
0: That's true. There's the, across the world, there are fewer female billionaires and very fewer wealthy, super wealthy women are you know they're rare basically um the, the the rich list the irish rich list would have over the years have a few female names in there i mean uh, you know at the top levels the weston family would have been a feature now galen weston passed away there not so long ago and his wife is irish and uh, hillary weston and she would have been seen as you know a wealthy woman with who alongside him helped build up a very uh ma- a very very substantial empire but Uh, That was linked to
2: Brown Thomas, was it?
0: Yes, they um, own quite a a vast business. But yeah, Brown Thomas and Arnott's was part of their um, business. And that was sold uh, just before Christmas there to um, a Thai Mm -hmm. group. So that's changed hands uh, quite quickly after his death. But um, one of the most sort of uh, senior, sort of wealthy Irish women would be Margaret Heffernan. And she to some extent, inherited that business, but there's no doubt that she drove, has driven that business to new levels. So That, that business being
2: done stores.
0: Dun stores, yes. And uh, she has, without doubt, brought done stores into the, the 21st century with, you know, going up market for its food and bringing in designer-type labels to the, the, the clothes range. And, you know, Dunn's is a huge player in an Irish grocery market that has... Big competitors like Tesco uh, and the and, and the German discounters Aldi and Little, very competitive Irish uh, grocery market. Duns is holding its own and ex, and, and, and continuing to do well. So there there are examples of very successful Irish businesswomen, But in terms of the billionaires, they are not there to the extent we might expect. And also um, globally, you know, th- 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 there's always a quite a, a low percentage of of, of the billionaires and, and the very wealthy are women.
2: So, John, Oxfam are calling for a wealth tax, which is nothing new, but the hook is new because I thought global economies had suffered badly. I thought that uh, businesses had had to close down, particularly large businesses, furloughing all the rest of it. But Oxfam argue that it has been a terrific pandemic for rich people. And I suppose maybe it begs the question, have the rest of us wasted a crisis? (laughs)
1: Well, it has actually. I think it's undeniable um, that it has been a terrific uh, pandemic for anybody who is an asset owner, uh, as opposed to somebody who draws a salary or gets a wage. And that, that requires a little bit of explanation about what's happened there, right? So initially when the pandemic started in March and April of 2020, uh, world markets went into a panic and they and they crashed, right? We all remember that. They dropped enormously. But what happened after was that uh, go- governments and central banks around the world swung into action to make sure that the economy itself didn't crash after the markets. And central banks pumped loads of liquidity into world markets. Uh, governments uh, created all kinds of COVID support schemes to give money to unemployed people, to give money to businesses, to hire all kinds of money just went washing out into the into the world economy. In, in our own country here, in Ireland, uh, I think there was something like 20 billion upwards of 20 billion uh, spent uh, just on um, business supports alone over the last two years. So what that did was actually, rescue the, the value of the assets that rich people tend to own. And I'm talking about shares in companies, um, you know, their, their bonds that they might own in their portfolios, and et cetera, et cetera. So if you're a business owner, if you're a shareholder, even if you own a lot of property, the value of all of those assets went up as the result of government and central bank action. So that made people who were already rich, they were already pretty high up in the rich stakes, even richer. But as Oxfam points out, as these billionaires and even millionaires have gotten substantially richer in the last two years, the gap between the top and the bottom has, has actually widened considerably. And
2: Samantha, is that gap not a good reason for a wealth tax? I know in, ahead of last year's budget here, Sinn Féin were, weren't calling it a wealth tax anymore. They were proposing a solidarity tax of an extra 3% on incomes above €140,000. Is, is there a good argument there for it to be made?
0: Look, in terms of uh, the very wealthy contributing, on, on the one hand, it does make sense that they should be supporting, you know, the health service and public, uh, the public purse with schools, etc. And why not go after some of their money? In practical terms, it, it's a really challenging one. I mean, if you look at the names we've mentioned there on the Irish rich list, like how many of them could uh, the Irish government actually access? You know, you've, the Collisons—they founded the business over in in, in the states. Uh, you know, even though they have a quite a big Irish uh, expansion plan for its business at the moment um, a number of the of the of them are non-tax residents um in Ireland anyway um in the in the. US, before um, President Biden was elected, it was a kind of a live issue briefly for the Democrats. Elizabeth Warren, who didn't succeed in getting the nomination, was very, very uh, vocal about uh, wealth tax. But there's constitutional issues over there. And of course, it is a very uh, political system that's influenced by powerful, wealthy people. So it's very unlikely to see it happening there. So would we have a situation where Ireland would have a wealth tax and other countries wouldn't have a wealth tax? And how would that play for us in terms of attracting entrepreneurs and you know a really important thing that we've been talking about for a long time in Ireland is creating indigenous companies that generate jobs and uh, not just using fdi as a our plank for our economy so if we want to uh, c- get people to create lots of jobs and you know develop exciting interesting companies would the entrepreneurs want to be based here if there was a wealth tax so that's a tricky one there is some discussion then in the states and potentially here about well so much of the money is Tied up in property and real estate, uh, perhaps that's a way of getting at wealth. And I think I don't think Sinn Féin's in favour of of property tax. So it's just uh, it's not as simple as it seems. You know, a, a, on the face of it, you know, get tap into the the big money and ha, you know support the economy more. You know, in, in areas that need help, it's not quite as straightforward as that when you actually drill down into it.
2: Nothing is ever that simple. But thank you, to Samantha and John, for trying to explain the billionaires' club to us. I'm Kevin Doyle and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, with sound design by John Smith. Archived clips came from independent.ie, RTE and Bloomberg. If you enjoy the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.